0: We are all ministers. It's not just your professionally hired staff or people who are getting paid, or you know your staff workers, your pastors, or ordained people, theologically trained people who are ministers. Amen. It's all of us are ministers and servants of the church. Uh, Everyone say we are ministers. We are ministers. Amen. So I was just reminded of that this morning. That oh man. Why am I stressed? I, I'm about to bring the word and, and I'm stressed out. And, and it came down to one thing, Erica's not here. <laughs> Erica is not here. So all the little things that she gets done, like printing and all of that, uh, didn't get done. So uh, I was rushing to do stuff. So if you ran into that, my like ADD, I'm stressed, don't talk to me. I apologize. (laughs) Um, But we are all ministers. We are all ministers. And if you go to the top of uh, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, chapter 1, which is six verses before our passage starts, uh, Paul says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Because of God's mercy, we have this ministry, and we do not lose heart. And like I said before, you may think, oh, it's just the preachers he's talking to. It's just the professional ministers. It's just the staff people he's talking to. No, we are all ministers. We all have this ministry. We are the church. And that's one of the values of Renew is, we believe strongly in lay leadership, right? We believe strongly. You may think, oh, Dave's just letting, wanting, inviting us to do things because he's lazy. No, it's actually, we are supposed to be doing the ministry of the church. We are building the kingdom of God together. Amen? It's not, we hire someone so they can get the work done and we can just watch, sit back and watch. No, that's not the church we want to be. There may be churches like that. But if you come to renew, we all carry the ministry together. Amen? Amen? We are carrying the ministry. We're all ministers. And so when Paul is writing to ministers, we all must listen because he's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to all of us. Do not lose heart because some of us may feel unqualified or some of us may feel like, We don't have the talent. We don't have the skills. We have nothing to offer. Like, who am I to minister to anyone? I need to be ministered to, right? Or I've sinned so much. My past is so full of things. Or right now, I'm in such a hole of despair. There's no way God can work through me. There's no way that I can love someone else. I have no capacity to love and Paul is saying to you, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Amen? Amen? And then further down to six, for God, he's encouraging us, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Somebody, everyone say, we are all containers. We are all containers. We are all built to hold something. Amen? We are all built to hold something. And the beauty of this all is that God in this passage, Paul is saying, look at God's glory. Right? Look at the amazing power of God. The amazing power of God is actually in you. We are all containers. You are all containers and you're holding The glory of the knowledge of God that's reflected in the face of Jesus Christ, and that power, that glory is in you. We are all ministers. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us, it is from God and not from us i'm getting so hot these are fogging up mm-hmm. <laughs> Woo! Um, so paul is working with two images here and these two images we can go back to genesis 1 2 and 3 to creation the, the creation story and the image is uh, clay or earth and light right in the beginning god said let there be light with this proclamation, he, he kind of created an inception of creation, right? With his words, action, word and action became one thing. He said it and it was. And creation began with him saying, let there be light. And this is what Paul is making that connection with us. Like the light is shining in the darkness and this light. We have access to it. It's within us. The second imagery is of, uh, from creation, is of earth, right? So the word Adama, the Hebrew word Adama, means earth. And what does Adama sound like? Adam, right? So actually, in creation, when he said he creates Adam, um, it's basically earthling, right? The the earthy human one. Um, But, I mean, in the original translation, it's actually. The Adam, right? The human. The Adam, and then he shaped the Adam from the earth, Adama. So there's a play on that word, Adam and Adama. Um, so we that that image of we came from dust, we came from clay. God was the potter who shaped humanity out of clay. And clay is this, you know. It's not titanium, we were shaped from granite, or titanium, or steel, or whatever element. It was the earth, it's very pliable, it's very soft. When it dries, it's cakey and crumbly, right? And so is the fragility of of the human life, right? We live, we live, we live, but from dust we came, to dust we return, right? We are but dust, with one T. But we return to dust. And Paul is drawing on these two images, right? Here's this light God spoke into creation. The glory of his light, his all surpassing power. This light shines out of the darkness, and this light is a treasure. And this treasure, we are jars of clay. All of us hold this light. Hold this light. And the, the image becomes even more amazing because in Corinth, they were known for pottery, For fine pottery. And in fact, you know, archaeologists have dug up, you know, uh, lots of stuff. And usually what they find is like clay pots, right? Oh, clay pots. And then Corinth, there's all these clay pots. But they've also found these clay pots with very thin walls, right? So what they do is uh, these clay pots would be so thin they'd be almost translucent. And in the, in the translucence, they would put fire, whatever fire or light source they have, into the clay jars and they'd actually serve as lamps. And it's in the thinness of the material, the fragility of the clay pots, that actually the light is able to shine even more. And so these pots were the perfect material, right? The clay pots are both brittle and like you can see through them, obviously, but at the same time, clay pots are pretty durable, right? Unless you drop them and they, and they crack. But the other piece of the beauty of clay pots or the image of these translucent clay pots is also if they do crack, you know, a lot of times they have cracks, the light can shine even more, right? Through these clay pots. And so in its crack and its brokenness, in its weakness, in its thinness, actually light is be light is able to shine even more. And so the analogy is that we are frail, we are Adama, we are made from the earth, we are fragile, but we have this immeasurable light, this treasure in us. And it's actually in our weakness and our fragility that this light is able to shine even more. Are you with me, church? We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death, For Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. The longer that I follow Jesus and study scripture and kind of am in the ministry, the more I learn that it's actually out of my vulnerability and, and my humanity, where God is able to do the most work, amen, which is funny because I spend most of my time trying to prove myself right trying to seem competent, trying to say the right things, trying to show off my resume, trying to be like, "I got this, you know I can handle this and um, and actually the re- that's count it's counterintuitive but it- it's in my vulnerability times when I've kind of been like, I actually can't do this. Will you help me? Or I'm incapable of this or kind of showing the cracks in my armor. But like that the light is able to shine even more. And when I look at this more deeply, oftentimes I think it has to do with relationality and mutuality and connectionality. Because When we think about witness, what makes a good witness to people out there, sometimes we focus in on the rules, right? What does it look like to be a good Christian? What does it look like to show people that we are this and this and this? And that's good. It's important to show people we have integrity, we have character, right? We love and stuff like that. Um, But it's not just about the rules. And let me go back to the garden uh, to point this out. I think sin... Like, what was the original sin in the garden? Paul and I have been talking about the garden a lot. But it's it's good to look back to to creation. But what is the original sin in Scripture? Is it that God said this? He made this rule and it doesn't make sense. Like, why is that rule? It's a house rule. Probably like what kids think of when parents make rules. Don't go through that door over there. It's like... Of course I'm going to go through that door, right? Like you said, don't go through it, right? Is it just that there are these house rules, garden rules, if you will, and there's this one rule, God said, don't do this rule, and Eve did it, and Adam did it, and so we're forever cursed, right? I think if you look deeper, there's more relational dynamics happening, and that's where the meat of the story is. It's, it's actually our connection with God that is broken. Because what, what happens when God, you know, when he finds out or he hears us, they eat from the fruit, whatever. He's looking in the garden. He's like, where are you, Adam, Eve? Where are you guys? Right? We're used to walking together. We're used to talking together. Aren't we going to hang out? Aren't we going to kick it in the garden today? And we speak so freely. We're in such an intimate relationship. Where have you guys been? And what does it say? They're in hiding. And actually, they were ashamed because they were naked, right? And if you kind of connect that, the nakedness to vulnerability, right? Being open, being intimate. They, They hid themselves with clothes, and they hid because they were ashamed. And I think more than breaking the rule... The thing that separates us from God is when we let that shame of disobedience overtake us. That's that's the voice of Satan, right? The shame says, well, I can't come back, right? I can't talk to God. I can't be with God because I did this thing. And we take it upon ourselves, right? And we start to add armor to our clay, right? oh, I feel vulnerable. I feel brittle. If I drop, I might crack. And in fact, I feel this crack happening. Let's put some sealant on that. Here, let's add some, let's upgrade to titanium, to whatever hard uh, substance, what's the hardest substance. Let's just put metal plates on us, and we'll put weapons, so that no one will see, even God, I will hide my weakness. I will hide the places that I'm wrong, that I'm bad, that I'm broken. I will hide the place because if I let that place, that open vulnerable place open, everything is just going to ooze out and I'll become nothing. Amen? Amen. And God is like, where are you? Where are you? And I think the correct response, or not the correct response, but the response that God is looking for is for us to turn back and said, we did this, I'm sorry, but I feel so far from home. And I want to be back in your good graces. And in that place, God, in his mercy and his grace, embraces us. Amen. And this is what he's saying is, stop writing your resumes, stop armor-plating yourself, right? Because it's actually when you're vulnerable that you're able to, I'm able to connect with you. And in your shortcomings, I'm able to use you. And as you witness, people see me, right? when you're vulnerable. Does that make sense? And that's what Paul is saying. We have these things in clay jars so that people don't see our like toughness, but people see God's glory, amen, at work in us. Do not lose heart. I think a lot of things that stop us from loving people, from living into our identity as ministers is shame. Right? Is our own shame and our own guilt. Right? Shame is a thing that uh, is our fear of not belonging. So there's a sociologist named Brene Brown and she talks about this. What is shame? Shame is the fear of not belonging. In the group in the community and so we when we feel that shame so deeply it causes us to run away to be like to hide like in the garden like adam and eve i can't go back into the family until i've got my ish together right i've got to clean out now brown spot like Macbeth, like out spot spot i can't clean it off i need to get straight i need to straighten up i need to clean the mud right I need to be right of my own accord before I can come back to God. And essentially what it, logically what that means is I need to save myself and clean, cleanse myself before God will love me and receive me or other people will love me and receive me. So that's a form of Martin, right? A Jesus complex. I'm saying I want I need to be perfect in order to belong. But that's not what we believe. Is that what we believe? What we believe is that we are imperfect. And in spite of that, Jesus has saved us. Amen? That's what we believe. And yet, we're conditioned to continually to be like, no. And I had a preacher uh, on this passage uh, talking about, you know, I've got pots and pans, right, at home. And my favorite pots and pans are the burnt crispy ones, right? They're black on the outside because the oil is burnt and there's caked on stuff on the outside, but they cook so well. I don't care what that pan looks like on the outside, right? But I'm holding on. I'm loyal to that pan because, man, it cooks so well and I've always used it to cook, right? And sometimes we spend our time cleaning and scrubbing off the things and polishing our lives, Right? And we, even, especially at church, we need to polish ourselves and be clean and shiny in order to come to church. Because that's where, right, we will be received. That's where we can meet God. And the reverse is actually true. This is the place where we bring our brokenness, where we bring our insecurities, where we bring, you know, the things that we don't know or understand, and we come and bring that in this place, in all that we are. And it's actually challenging as a pastor. If you think about it, or a worship leader, or whatever, people who serve on Sundays, to be like, every week. When I first became a pastor, I was like, every week I have to preach. Almost every week. Like, even when I'm sad, even when I'm pissed, even when I'm this. Like, people expect me to preach. They expect me to bring a holy word of truth. Right? But I'm not, I don't always feel holy. Right? I don't always feel right. Or I, I'm not always prepared. Or I don't, I'm not always like, deep with God. I mean, that's part of the call. But what does it mean to actually go against the flow and be like, No to come to come as I am into this place and to br- embrace authenticity for all of us to come as we are and be real and embrace authenticity. Be vulnerable. Oh yeah, that's the title of this sermon this week and one of the values, and it's an important value at Renew is to hashtag be vulnerable. What does that mean to be vulnerable? Does that mean that you are a floor mat to be stepped on? Does that mean that you are, you know, over, an oversharer? <laughs> like, oh, vulnerability means I share all of my sexual sin to you right now from Monday to Friday. Well, like, maybe there's some discernment or I don't know. But I think it's, it's vulnerability means in the midst of feeling shame and fear that you'll be rejected and not belong, yet you choose courage to show your to bring yourself. So, like a relationship, uh, like a relationship, like both people may be afraid that the other person doesn't want to be together or hang out or spend time, but the vulnerable, courageous one is the one who initiates, even though there's the fear of rejection. Does that make sense? Like, they may say no. They may say, oh, I'm busy. But still, I'm going to say, hey, you want to hang out? I could use a friend. Hey, you want to go out and have dinner? I want to be there. And you put yourself out there. That's the vulnerable person. Are you with me, church? Yeah. Um, it's It's the person who, in a fight or intention, is the one to say, you know what? I'm sorry. You know, without the like added like, I'm sorry, but you blah, 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 Getting in some more punches on the side. Right? No, it's I'm, I'm sorry. And the vulnerable one is the one who's able to say, I'm sorry. How, how did I hurt you? And the person like shares all the ways and doesn't let go. Well, I'm mad at you still, you know. It's like, actually, you're sorry, and I understand how you hurt me. Please tell me how you hurt me. I, the vulnerable one. The vulnerable one. Um, let's take church, for instance, or or faith. The one. As a church, what does it mean to embrace vulnerability? It means that we embrace mystery and faith, right? And this is something Brene Brown, I'll show you a clip, she talks about. In, in religious circles, oftentimes we've moved into this bad habit of embracing um, certainty, right? So that's how we approach the rest of the world with certainty this is the truth and this is what you must believe and this is how you must believe it this is the answer this is what it says in bible this is what god says right rather than what's more true about our faith is there are many things we don't know right we're not certain there's mystery and a lot of it is about faith and so why doesn't the world get to see that I think we would connect with people way more if they saw our uncertainty yet we continue to live with courage right and so that's what Paul is saying we are clay jars we're weak vessels we're earthen vessels and it's in our weakness that light is able to shine through right and when we act tough and macho, I'm okay, I got this. Right? We actually put a, cover that light up. You see what I'm saying? And people see more of our junk than they see God's glory. Um, so we, we need to begin to open up. And so, as a means of application, I'm going to show a clip from Brene Brown, a uh, sociologist. And she did a, uh, so she's a researcher and she did a TED Talk called The Power of Vulnerability. And this is the last section of it. And just as context, she, was, she went on a goat trail of research because she was wondering, like, how do, how do people connect? Like, how, what is connection about? And what makes, what's the difference between people who are able to connect and overcome their shame and fear of not belonging and have a healthy sense of self? And she put her finger on wholehearted people what she called wholehearted people. They had this kind of it thing um, to feel comfortable in who they were and able to show kindness to themselves. So they were able to show kindness to others and live in a whole whole way. And then she she further was like, so what makes wholehearted, what's the X factor in wholehearted people? And the X factor in wholehearted people was actually courage and vulnerability, the willingness to be vulnerable. Like I said, the, the willingness to take, put yourself out there even though you might be rejected, that's vulnerability. And she's saying people who are vulnerable actually live happy lives. And, um, and so, we'll show the clip.
1: What are we doing with vulnerability? Why do we struggle with it so much? Am I alone in struggling with vulnerability? No. So this is what I learned. We numb vulnerability. When we're waiting for the call, it was funny, I sent something out on Twitter and on Facebook that says, how would you define vulnerability? What makes you feel vulnerable? And within an hour and a half, I had 150 responses. Um, Because I wanted to know, you know, what's out there? Having to ask my husband for help because I'm sick and we're newly married. Um, Initiating sex with my husband. Initiating sex with my wife being turned down, asking someone out, waiting for the doctor to call back, getting laid off, laying off people. This is the world we live in. We live in a vulnerable world. Um, And one of the ways we deal with it is we numb vulnerability. And I think there's evidence. And it's not the only reason this evidence exists, but I think that it's a, a, a huge cause. We are the most in debt, obese, addicted, and medicated adult cohort in U.S. history. The problem is, and I learned this from the research, that you cannot selectively numb emotion. You can't say, here's the bad stuff. Here's vulnerability, here's grief, here's shame, here's fear, here's disappointment. I don't want to feel these. I'm going to have a couple of beers and a banana nut muffin. (laughs) I don't want to feel these. And I know that's, I know that's knowing laughter. I, I hack into your lives for a living. I know that's, oh, God. God. Um, you can't numb those hard feelings without numbing the other affects or emotions. You cannot selectively numb. So when we numb those, we numb joy. Mm. We numb gratitude. We numb happiness. And then we are miserable and we are looking for purpose and meaning and then we feel vulnerable so then we have a couple of beers and a banana nut muffin and it becomes this dangerous cycle. Um, One of the things that I think that we need to think about is why and how we numb and it doesn't just have to be addiction. The other thing we do is we make everything that's uncertain certain. Religion, has gone from a belief in faith and mystery to certainty. I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. That's it. Just certain. The more afraid we are, the more vulnerable we are, the more afraid we are. This is what politics looks like today. There's no discourse anymore. Mm. There's no conversation. There's just blame. You, know what blame. you know how blame is described in the research? A way to discharge pain and discomfort. Mm. We perfect if there's anyone who wants their life to look like this. It would be me. But it doesn't work. Because what we do is we take fat from our butts and put it in our cheeks, which just I hope in a hundred years people will look back and go, wow. Uh, And we perfect most dangerously our children. Let me tell you what we think about children. They're hardwired for struggle when they get here. When you hold those perfect little babies in your hand, our job is not to say, look at her, she's perfect. My job is just to keep her perfect, make sure she makes the tennis team by fifth grade and Yale by seventh grade. (laughs) That's not our job. Our job is to look and say, you know what? You're imperfect and you're wired for struggle, but you are worthy of love and belonging. Mm. That's our job. (laughs) Show me a generation of kids raised like that and we'll end the problems I think that we see today. We pretend that what we do doesn't have an effect on people. We do that in our personal lives. We do that corporate, whether it's a bailout, an oil spill, a recall. We pretend like what we're doing doesn't have a huge impact on other people. I would say to companies, this is not our first rodeo, people. We just need you to be authentic and real and say, we're sorry, we'll fix it. But there's another way, and I'll leave you with this. This is what I have found. To let ourselves be seen. Deeply seen. Vulnerably seen. To love with our whole hearts, even though there's no guarantee. And that's really hard, and I can tell you as a parent that's excruciatingly difficult. To practice gratitude and joy in those moments of kind of terror when we're wondering, Can I love you this much? Can I believe in this as passionately? Can I be this fierce about this? Just to be able to stop and instead of catastrophizing what might happen to say, I'm just so grateful. Because to feel this vulnerable means I'm alive. And the last, which I think is probably the most important, is to believe that we're enough. Because when we work from a place, I believe, that says, I'm enough, then we stop screaming and start listening. We're kinder and gentler to the people around us and we're kinder and gentler to ourselves. That's all I have. Thank
0: you. When I was uh, just graduated from college, one of my mentors, uh, he said, you're a tiger. Right? And I was like, yeah, I'm a tiger. And this was at a time when I was kind of, I was a poet, I was creative, and I didn't know if I fit into the leadership culture that I was in uh, the staff culture and uh, he was encouraging me and he was saying actually you're a tiger and a tiger is very powerful and unique and colorful and um, I think you can be really powerful in ministry but you're a wounded tiger and I was like a oh, wounded tiger and he said you know when a when an animal is caged and it's wounded it's actually more dangerous, right? Because you come around the cage, it's cornered, it's hurt, and it would actually strike out. And he says, when I look at your life, David, when I look at your interactions and your relationships, you're a wounded person. And, and your mode, your, your most common mode is defensiveness. You strike out before, before anything when you feel a a small threat and that needs to be healed in you and this is a message i want to speak specifically to the men and boys in this house i think on the one hand we have a hard we have a hard road because there are not a lot of avenues where kind of we're encouraged to be vulnerable or to share or to talk out feelings from an early age maybe you were raised really well But from an early age, we're given that kind of toxic masculinity. Like, if you're crying, stop crying. Don't cry. Be tough. And from that point on, like, we've kind of learned to take these, like, wild emotions, like, anger and frustration and just kind of bottle it up. And it just builds and builds and builds. Right? And there's no healthy outlets like talking and relationship and vulnerability. So we turn to, like she said, uh, brand muffins, not brand muffins, muffins and and beer right we turn to addictions whether that be through our sexuality pornography or whatever we turn to our addictions and those become outlets for these complex emotions that we feel and it's harder to just open up and have friends and that's why janice was like you need friends you need guy friends i'm like i don't need guy friends i just need sports and competition Right? And so, that's why you're dying inside. Ah. And then another mentor of mine, a woman, I was like, yes, I've, I have this rage in me. You know, I've struggled with this anger and this kind of insecurity my whole life and this sense of belonging. Like, I don't fit in, I don't fit in. And just, I feel like this little kid in a steel chamber just pounding on the walls inside. But outside, I'm just like this calm person. And I said, I need to kill that. You know, because that's what, that's what like my disciples used to say kill that little beast in you, kill the animal in you. And she said something that has changed my life. She said, You don't need to kill the beast in you, you need to embrace the monster. Because that's you. You need to love that person in you. Right? Stop trying to, you know, beat it down, but love. Because when you're able to show kindness and love for yourself is when, is when you're able to turn and love others. Amen? And that's what we believe at Renew. It's about relationships. Our witness, our ministry, it's about authenticity and coming, you know, coming at people in real ways with all that we are. Because when we come in those open ways, people are able to see Jesus. Right? and they 're also able to relate to us right they don't want to relate to some weird image of perfection they can't relate to it, and it actually they can never see God in our perfection right but we have this power in clay jars, and so my challenge to us renew is to go out and be. Hashtag vulnerable.